Uh, take your, your Bible, your phone, your pad, if you have it memorized, your mind. Uh, turn to First John with me. We've been there off and on. Okay, First John, we're going to get there in a minute. <clears throat> Do you remember the string? Remember the string? Ran across the room. Picture of eternity. And then the two handkerchiefs. Picture of time. That there was eternity had no beginning and no end. No limitations. No boundaries. That's enough thinking about that. Uh, and then time. And time starts. How about now? Time is a segment, an allotted period. There'll have, there was a beginning, and there will be an end. First John does a great job in encapsulating all that that entails and all that we talked about, and I'll show you. He talks about eternity in 1 John 1, 1. What was from the beginning? What was from the beginning? God was from the beginning. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit were before the beginning. What we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. That that was eternal, that that was invisible, was made visible, was manifested when Jesus came. And he says, we have seen it and testify and proclaim to you that eternal life. We're proclaiming to you that life that was invisible in God became visible. It was with the Father and it was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he, 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 he pictures that in, in these verses. He talks about what was before and then what came into being. And then he goes on and he talks more about this time and space issue that we have to deal with. And he says in chapter, in verse 15 of chapter 2, do not love the world. It's here. It's tangible. We see it. We're a part of it. But he says, don't love the world. Don't love what's in time. Because he says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. We didn't get that from the Father. We get that in the world. And he says the world is passing away and all its lust with it. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So he talks about that eternal perspective that's taking place. Then he gives us what our posture should be toward uh, the world. But he says we're in the world, but we're not to love the world. We're not to participate in all this 
tangible things, and he lists those things that are there. And then he says that Jesus has done everything necessary that we can live in this world but not be controlled by the world. He says here in verse chapter 2, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. I thought I had to sin. No, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. And then he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He says, this Jesus that lived in eternity with the Father came into time, and he became what we needed in order to have fellowship with the Father. He is the propitiation. He's the one. And now he's the advocate for us. When we blow it, the enemy comes and condemns us. Jesus stands between and advocates for us before the Father. And he goes on and he says in verse uh, 25 of chapter 2, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. That eternal life, he says in chapter 4, verse verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So he says there was this eternal in the Son who came into time did everything that was necessary for us to have a relationship with the Father. He he, he broke all of those barriers and broke all of those chains that we can be free to have that relationship with him. And he came and eternal life was in him. Eternal life was not in a doctrine. Eternal life is not in a belief system. Eternal life is not in ritual. Eternal life is not in works. Eternal life is in Jesus. And he says, if you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, and by that he's referring to a relationship with him, because in John 17, 3, he says, Jesus, and this is life eternal, He's praying to the Father. He says, Father, this is life eternal that they might know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And he says in chapter 4 of 1 John, if you have the Son, you have eternal life. If you don't have the Son, you do not have eternal life. If you do have the Son, if you do have eternal life, you have the ability to live in time without being controlled by the elements in time. Because greater is he who is in me than he who is where? In the world. See? Well, the whole picture there is in John. It's just awesome. He talks about what was before. He talks about Jesus coming. He talks about what Jesus did. He talks about him inviting us to a relationship with him. John said, I had this relationship with him. I want you to have this relationship with him. 
I want you to have fellowship with him. How awesome is that is it reveals that picture. But then he shifts gears and it gets down and dirty. He starts talking about loving one another. Not only does he talk about this vertical relationship that we have, but he talks about this horizontal relationship. And just as this vertical relationship was valuable to God, he says now then this horizontal relationship is valuable to God. That's where we're going to camp, okay? I have been... I I guess so grieved about the issue of the lack of mature relationships that you see within Christianity. I mean, about how quick we are to draw a line, how quick we are to attack one another. And, And I'm not talking about specifically grace. I'm just talking about the church as a whole. And it just reiterates that perspective that we've said for so long is that the church is real good about equipping believers to be mature as an individual. Where I think we have faltered is in equipping individuals to have relationships with one another and to be mature in our relationships with one another. We have this sense to buy in to the world's idea of relationship, and that is when you've done doing for me all you can do for me, we're done. I mean, that's why the divorce rate among Christians is the same as it is among the world. It's right at 40-something percent. There's that posture of relationships are to serve a purpose, and when they quit serving that purpose, then the relationship is over. Everyone now is easily offended. Well, you're a Calvinist. Well, you're an Arminian. Well, you're, you're this, and, you're, and, and now we divide lines, and we create denominations based around differences of perspective. And in our relationships, in our, in our individual walk with the Lord, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. In our individual walk with the Lord, there may be maturity. But in learning to relate to one another, we're more like adolescents. We get our feelings hurt. We get offended. We take offense. We look for offense. We're asking for offense. We're going to give offense. We're going to be careful about you offending me. And we just wear it on our sleeve like, hurt me. Give me a reason to not have a relationship with you. So we're going to camp on this idea of how we relate to one another. And pray that God works it in our heart that we will embrace some things that will help us in just relating to one another, okay? This morning, I'm just going to give you three things that I want you to remember. I want you to saturate yourself in these three things. I want you to think about them during the week. Ask the Lord about them because these things are going to be the premise for the other things that we build on, okay? Here's the first one. Relationship 
is extremely important to God. I mean, just relationship is extremely important to God. I said this last week. Jesus could have left eternity, come into time, explained what the Father was like, manifested the Father to us, shown us what it was like to live in relationship with God, and then left and gone back to the Father and left us with just a wonderful model. Well, there's a great model of how to live in relationship to God and a wonderful memory of what it was like to remember Jesus lived in relationship with God. But that's all we would have. We would have a model, and we'd have a memory. And you know what? That seems to be enough for some who call themselves Christians. Now, we know that if all I have is a model of Jesus, and all I have is the memory of Jesus, and then all I have is my own effort in trying to model that, that doesn't make me a Christian. What makes me a Christian is I have Christ, and eternal life is in Christ, and that makes me a Christian, okay? But relationships are extremely important to God. He could have come, been a model, and left us with a memory. But he died, he rose, he ascended, He seated himself at the right hand of the Father, and he sent the Holy Spirit in order that we might have a relationship. Do you understand without the Holy Spirit, you don't have a relationship with God? He's it. Without him, all you have is a model. All you have is a memory. But because he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, we have relationship with him. And the terms that he uses to define this thing indicate that. He's a father. We are children. There are sons. He calls us friends. He calls us brothers. He calls us sisters. All of these things indicate It's relationship, and it's important and valuable to God. But not only does that translate vertically, that translates horizontally in our relationships to one another. 1 John 3, verse 16 says this, We know love by this. This is how we know what love looks like, okay? We know love by this. He's talking about Jesus. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Boy, that's how we know the Father loves us. That's how we know Jesus loves us. That's the beginning of experiencing that love. Because if you don't know that, chances are you're not going to experience that love. You're going to always question his love. Well, does he love me? Have I done enough for him to love me? But he says, by this, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives, and in our, at least in my mind, as I'm skimming over that, he laid down his life for us, 
Therefore, I should lay down my life for him. Reciprocal. Makes sense. But he messes it up. He said, by this is love, that he laid down his life for us, that I might lay down my life for the brethren. Whoa, wait a minute. That I might lay down my life for the brethren. He goes on in chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse 21, the one who loves God should love his brother also. Chapter 5, verse 1, and whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Did you ever consider that my love for God is expressed in my love for people? Oh, Did I ever consider the possibility that the true measure of my love for God is measured by my love for people? It's good that we lift our hands. It's good that we sing. It's good that we dance. It's good that we pray. It's good that we praise. It's good that we do all that. How do I know I love God? Because I love the brethren. Wow, that puts it on a different level. Most of us never give much thought as to how to have a healthy relationship. Have you ever sit down and think, hmm, I wonder how you have a healthy relationship with people. Most of us, myself included, we wait till the wheels come off in a relationship. And the conflict arises. And the anxiety arises, and the stress arises, and I'm wondering, what the heck? What went wrong? How did this happen? Instead of beforehand saying, okay, this is what a healthy relationship looks like, and my objective in this relationship is to be an expression of health in it and do it beforehand. But usually we wait for the pain to come. We usually we wait for the conflict to come. And if relationships are important to God, then they must be important to me. And it starts with that. Me determining in my heart that every relationship I have is valuable to God. And you know what that does? that makes the person I have the relationship with valuable. As valuable as God is, they are to God, to him. So it starts with that. Embracing the reality that relationships are important. They are worth giving time to. They are worth giving study to. They are worth praying about. They are worth seeking the Lord about and how to have a healthy relationship. Okay, here's the second one. Relationships don't exist first and foremost for me. Well, then why have them? Relationships don't exist 
first and foremost for me. They have personal benefits, but my benefit is not the focus or the goal of this relationship. I am not the center of this relationship. Let me quote somebody from about 20 years ago, all right? It's not about me. You thought we got away from that, didn't you? Folks, after 30 years, it's still not about me. Relationship is not about me. Relationship is not me as the center of this relationship. Ephesians, let me just read this to you. If you, if you can turn there, fine. In Ephesians 1.10, he says this. He made, this is talking about what God has done. And it says, he made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his kind intention, which he proposed in Jesus. Jesus, let, there, here it is again. Jesus left eternity, came into time, and revealed to us the purpose of God for time. And that was He's going to show us. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he proposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. That's his purpose to sum up all things, including this relationship in Christ. Things in heaven and things on the earth. He says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. He's talking about the incomparable Christ and that he's the image of the invisible God and all of these wonderful things that he's created everything. He is before all things. There it is again. There's that picture of eternity, and then there's time, and he says he is before all things. I hope you get the picture that this thing we're engaged in is bigger than time, and it's certainly bigger than us. It has eternal origins and eternal value. He is before all things, and in him, All things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. What's the purpose of this relationship? That he might have first place in it. That he might be manifested in it. That he might be revealed in it. Honoring him by embracing his perspective, by embracing his will. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Paul's struggling with, you know, you want to die, go to heaven, or you want to stay and be on earth. And his final conclusion was, therefore, we have as our ambition, this is our goal, whether at home 
or absent to be pleasing to him. Folks, listen, if you're thinking, well, I've got eternal life, and when I get to heaven, I'm going to really live pleasing to God. What are you going to do now? Well, it's a, it's a crapshoot now. You know, maybe, maybe not how it depends. He says, I have as my ambition, my goal, my objective, in everything I do is that he might be pleased. What's the purpose of this relationship? The purpose of this relationship, any relationship, the purpose of any relationship is to be an expression on earth of what existed before time the relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He didn't invite us in to be something different. Listen, God has never looked out of eternity into time and says, you guys got any ideas? I've run out. You got any good thoughts about how to live down there? He he doesn't. His purpose has always been that this relationship would be an expression of what existed in eternity on earth. That fellowship, that oneness, that love, as 1 John talks about it. He says, this is love, not that we love God, but that what? He loved us. And because he loves me, I can then in turn express that. You say, I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. Well, listen to this. He says, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. We have come to know it. We've come to believe it. The love which God has loved for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. As he was, no. As he is, living in me as he is, so also are we in this world. I have the capacity in Christ to be an expression of the relationship of eternity that was manifested in Jesus of the Father's love for us and the Father's care for us and the Father's protection of us. That's what I'm here to do in relationships this way, to be that expression. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my own strength. I can't come up with good ideas of my own of how to do it. But as I yield to his authority and his perspective, he reveals that to me, and I can be obedient in that, and that expresses the Father, and that pleases him. Here's the third one, what we just discussed. Relationships exist to reveal the relationship within the Godhead and God's relationship with man. Why does God bring people in our life? Because God knows that here is the potential for a fresh 
creative expression of his relationship with the son and his relationship with us. Do you, do you understand God is not a charismatic, nor a Baptist, nor an Episcopalian, nor a Methodist, nor Lutheran? None of that stuff. God is spirit. And our purpose is to be an expression of him and his relationship with the son and his relationship with me to the world. And he brings people into my life. It's like that thing the Lord told me that night, someone alluded to, uh, uh, about the Lord told me, you'll never, you'll never be healthy with just me and you. Because I put expressions of myself in people, and he puts expressions of himself in the weirdest people. Someone I talked to a while back, they had come to Grace early on, and we went for lunch afterwards. And the first thing they said was, you guys are weird. You guys are so weird. And I said, you know how to deal with that? You become one of us then they're not so weird because that would make me weird. And listen, I I love that verse, Karis, you talked about this morning. You know, uh, what I'd seen in that is Joshua goes to these guys and he says, whose side are you on? And he said, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take charge. Came to take charge. God does not empower us to protect our side. He empowers us to love the other side. And that's uncomfortable. That's difficult in our own strength, in our own assessment, in our own ability. My posture in relationship is to express God's character by relating to others the way God relates to me. I just set that set a minute. My purpose in my relationship with Susan is to relate to her the way God relates to me. And there is a breakdown right there for a lot of us. Because we think God relates to us with a scowl on his face and anger and judgment. So it's okay for me to judge her. It's okay for me to be angry. That's how God deals with me. Instead of seeing his love and his favor and his grace and his mercy and then getting to extend that to her. That's my job in relationship. And God's so cool. He knows right where to put a finger. He knows right where to position people to establish relationships. You notice you don't have a finger on your forehead? What good would that be? But God said, I'm going to put a finger right next to a hand. You might be the hand and get this weird fingers 
that God wants you to relate to. What's the purpose of that? To manifest the relationship that the Father has with the Son and the relationship that he's had with us. Most of us have given no consideration to how relationships should look. What governs relationships? Usually, we take it as it comes and measure it by how it makes me feel or how it benefits me. And as long as this person that I'm maybe going to have a relationship with makes me feel a certain way, hey, we're good. But boy, if they ever cross me, if they ever insult me, if they ever hurt my feelings, or I go into this relationship with what I can get out of it, you provide something. Well, being with you, you know, I'm around you, and people look at me when I'm around you, and they, I feel good about myself. Because somebody like you is my relationship. Instead of approaching it from the posture that I'm here in this relationship to be an expression of Christ and his relationship with me. This can be a huge shakeup to our life if we embrace these three things as God's perspective in terms of relationship. Number one, you are very valuable. This relationship is extremely valuable because it's valuable to God. Number two, relationships don't exist for me. It's not for what I can get out of it or how you make me feel. Or number three, the purpose of this relationship is to reveal the love of the Father. That, could, that would be huge. Listen, until my quiet time shakes out into my relationships, the cycle is not complete. Until my quiet time, where my hands are lifted, I'm singing, I'm praising, I'm dancing, I'm jumping, I'm full of joy. Nothing is going to affect me. Shakes out into my relationship to this person that is different than me. Doesn't see things the way I see them. They're just, they just rub me the wrong way, we think. The cycle's not complete because God loves us that we might love others. That's the cycle. That's the circle. Next time I share, I don't know when it'll be, we're going to start looking at what does a mature relationship look like? We've given the premise, okay? Now, it'd be easy to say, it looks like Jesus. But that can be kind of vague. <laughs> How'd I say that again? He looks like Jesus. See? Jesus. But we're going to look at some practicals of how do we develop mature relationships with one another. They're there. He showed them to us. 
if we would just heed them and embrace them as part of our life. Father, we love you. And we only love you because you loved us. Somewhere we discovered your love for us and it caused us to just fall in love with you. We thank you for not giving up on us, not measuring us by our performance, our looks. Thank you for embracing us. And Father, we want to embrace relationships with the value that you place on them. We want to change the focus off of ourselves. We have set ourselves up for so much disappointment in people. And every time we've been disappointed with people, it just chips away at our value in relationships. See what relationships will get you. See how they hurt you. And Father, I ask you to adjust our heart that we can see relationships for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to you and letting you have first place in them instead of me. And Father, show us how to express your relationship with us to one another and to the world. We bless you for loving us. Expound, explode that love in our heart that we can really know what it's like. In Jesus' name. Any questions, comments? Hang on. In looking at our relationship with God and it being reflected in how we relate to each other, it's eye-opening to think about when you think about how you treat this person. By that, we can know how you treat God. If I don't listen to you and have an interaction with you, then I don't listen to God. I talk him down, <laughs> you know. Yeah, good luck and, with that. Yeah. yeah, you know, but that that's reflective yeah. of how I treat God. Yeah, that's right. See, one of the one of the greatest blocks to change is thinking just for the slightest moment, I might be wrong. You know where that started? From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to be right. I'm going to eat this tree. I'm going to know good. I'm going to know evil. I'm going to be right. And we just embrace that. Got to be right. Got to defend our position. And God said, I just want you to love people. 